Thanks for tuning in to the Replatform podcast sponsored by Ampliance and Clavio. And you're listening to myself, James Gerd, and my co-host, Paul Rogers. How you doing, mate? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you doing? Good, I'm good. It's going to be another cracking episode today. Um, hopefully, all of our regular listeners who are tuning back in will enjoy it. Thanks for joining us again. And if this is the first time for you on the podcast, we appreciate a new listener. Uh, do subscribe. You can get new episode alerts every week. And we would also love a like on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple, etc. Uh, if you like the content. So let's set up our topic before we introduce our guests. So the context is, is uh, you know, luxury and premium brands want shopping to be an experience, not just a functional process. And often it results in money being thrown at things like the front end of a website where things are very visible and tangible or elements like packaging, but it doesn't always carry through to the full end-to-end logistics piece. And we all know that the shipping experience plays a vital role in nudging first-time shoppers into repeat buyers. You can secure the purchase and then screw up the experience afterwards. So we're actually focusing say, on, on how you can improve that experience and the focus on the value of concierge services. So I can't even say the word services today. So things like white glove delivery, et cetera. Um, we'll talk about the value in providing a more premium service, trends and insights from customers, and hopefully get a bit more of a feel for, for the value and relevance to this in e-commerce. So let's welcome our guest, Liam Young, who's a founder at Harper. Welcome, Liam. Hello. Uh, thanks, Joy. So um, as we always say in this podcast, some will have heard of Harper, others won't. Can you give an interest? You know, what, what, is, what is Harper? What do you do and why do you do it? So Harper, we're effectively, it's like retail at home. Um, We're effectively a network of mobile sales associates, like you said, it's like a concierge service um, that delivers that in-store experience to customers at home. Um, So I founded the business five years ago now. Um, My background is in engineering and logistics, but founded it really from a consumer perspective. You know, I was a very stereotypical modern consumer doing all of my shopping online um, and just had one too many poor kind of last mile experiences and thought there's got to be a better way. So we came up with the idea of Harper and delivering this, you know, kind of almost like a sales associate rather than a delivery driver, taking those pieces to customers. And then we soon realized that it had so many commercial benefits just by creating that kind of really seamless, frictionless, at-home shopping experience. Customers try more on, they purchase more, and it's great for customer loyalty um, and lifetime value. Great. Um, So I'll ask the first question. Um, So what does an ideal client look like for Harper? So I think, uh, you know, you work with one of our clients, Self-Portrait. They're quite high AOV, quite luxury. Um, And I'd imagine a lot of your clients fall into that category. Do you plan to kind of broaden beyond that? Um, Yeah. And what kind of verticals are you working at the moment? Yeah, good question. So, um, I mean, it starts off with luxury. It fits most naturally. The luxury is a very luxury service. And it works well for product that customers need to try on. And the product that needs to try on is, is fashion, it's clothing, it's accessories, it's footwear, jewelry, anything that you can imagine that you'd want to try on is maybe easier to buy in a store. Um, and then pieces that are higher price point as well, luxury items. Again, it's, it's about quality. You want to touch, you want to feel. It's really hard to translate that on a screen. Um, and also the service as well. It, you know, it Commercially, it naturally fits better with luxury. Um, but we have started working with more kind of attainable luxury brands as well now. Um, about 18 months ago, we launched with a brand called Me and M, who are doing incredibly well now. Um, they've just raised 55 million to actually expand to the US. Um, but we're launching a bunch of kind of um, household names in the UK over the next say six to 12 months. But it's, we always talk about it as product that's quality and that you'd want to see in person um, before you actually buy. That makes sense. And um, is it just London that you're servicing at the moment? Yeah, so it's Greater London today. Um, so anywhere up to the M25. It works really well in those areas like Weybridge. We've got some incredible customers. You know, it's it can be 90 minutes to actually get into Central, get to a store, um, and there's just these hubs of customers that are there. But it works. I mean, it's funny. Like we say, sometimes there'll be customers who are five minutes down the road from a store, but they're still shopping online. 
Um, and this service obviously brings in that kind of experience. Um, we're launching in New York in January um, of next year, and I'll be moving there. So I'm going this Saturday actually for two weeks to start setting it up. So very excited about that. Lovely, yeah, very exciting. Um, and I guess you've talked a bit about the elevated experience, and you mentioned the kind of commercial benefits of that. Obviously, on top of that, you have the kind of brand and kind of tangible customer experience side as well. Um, what are some of the additional touches that you bring to that experience that kind of add value to a more premium brand? Yeah, good question. So for me, like the quality of a service, I'd say fundamentally it starts around like why the customers are using the services because it's kind of removing those barriers to shopping for fashion online. You know, we did a, um, a customer interview, did a hundred of them uh, in Q1 basically just to kind of recalibrate what customers are finding hard about shopping online. Uh, you could probably imagine what they were. Number one was understanding size and fit. Super tricky online, even with, you know, how people are really investing in size guides and things like that today, but it's still a big challenge. Um, number two was the hassle of returns. Number three was understanding quality um, and that type of material. Four was um, hassle of refunds, actually, and just the anxiety of putting that money on your card if you're trying lots of pieces on. Five was paying for refunds. So it, Harper as a service actually overcomes all five of those. You know, it's giving customers the freedom to engage with product. So customers are using it for the convenience of the service to save them time, really, which is a luxury in itself. Um, but in terms of like the premium touches that we add, like the quality of a service, I always say, comes down to the person delivering it. Um, so, and this is nothing against delivery drivers, like, you know, um, but, you know, generally they are, it's about speed, it's about efficiency, but they'll bring the items to your home and they will just like, you know, throw them over the fence or pass them through as quickly as they can. Like one of the experiences I had, which I often talk about when I was founding the business, ordering a bunch of items from a retailer that I was, um, I shopped frequently, had them delivered and long story short, basically found those items in my bin. And it was, you know, it was a big spend for me. It was, um, I'm one of those customers who shops three or four times a year and do big shops and I had to fish out the bin. I didn't even try it on, sent it all back. And it's like, you know why that happens? Because it's, the industry is built on, you know, whoever wins the work is whoever's the cheapest typically in the last mile. Like it's just been totally disregarded. Like Harper's flipping that on its head and saying, actually, there's tons of value you can add here. So let's have a person there who's like, you know, their KPIs are around customer experience, around NPS, delivering that incredible service. And um, so we're hiring people who are more like sales associates, they're more like customer experience people than somebody who's just doing a delivery. Um, so you'll see from our Trust Pilot, you know, highest rated last mile um, service on Trust Pilot, NPS of 86, and largely that's coming down to the actual people delivering the service. Um, but the actual experience itself as well is like, it can be really designed with the brand. So some of the brands have had us taking like small bottles of champagne to their VIPs and, you know, chocolates and we're hosting group appointments and things like that. But yeah, at its core, it's just a very, very convenient service. It's very elevated with those luxury touches. Sometimes they go on the hangers as well. Like some brands will have us take items to customers, literally hung and steamed. So customers can just try them on. It helps convert the product. Um, and then anything that they don't want is just taken back very quickly and very seamlessly. Yeah. So you mentioned an interesting one uh, there about the group sessions. Who organizes that? Uh, do you have to do any of the organization or does the, the client, the retailer, organize a group session and then you are bringing the product to it? Quite intrigued by how it would work operationally. Yeah, I mean, it happened very organically, to be honest. Like we, um, the customers just started doing it. It started before the pandemic and it's resumed quite a lot now, but like it started with like, you know, mother and daughter appointments, um, family appointments. We've had some bridal appointments and bridesmaid appointments. It's great for us, obviously, we're going and seeing eight customers at a time. But it's all driven by the customer. You know, they're the one who's on the website. They're choosing the pieces for themselves. But the ones who've tried it and seen like what kind of experience it is are naturally themselves booking this with a friend, 
Um, it's not massive volume, probably like under 5% of orders, but it's happening you know, fairly frequently now and it seems to be growing as well. Um, we're launching a brand, um, like a, a, a brand that specializes in bridal in a couple of months. And that's going to be a big thing for that. It's like designing that experience to make it like, you know, almost like you're going into this store, but it's at your home. You can host it. You can have drinks. You can really turn it into an experience just leveraging this service effectively. Yeah, that makes sense. I can see why in the bridal space that would work very, very well, especially when you build the experience around it rather than just trying on clients. Um, and you you talked about metrics, and I've got a question on that. So interesting, you mentioned um, customer experience metrics like MPS. Are you able to share any more information on how, how how much are people worried about the revenue impact of it versus actually delighting their VIP customers, for example, and keeping them more engaged and shopping over a longer lifetime? Uh, is is there a is is it really just financially driven at the moment, or is it really a big split between financial and customer experience? success criteria yeah it's both <laughs> if it was just the former my life would be so much easier because everybody understands how elevated the service is and everybody um you know we've got a lot of customers now coming from brands they will be people from other brands just naturally as customers coming across the service trying it and being like oh my god we've got to implement this at our brand so a lot of that's happened very organically there's very few brands that i meet that aren't like we'd love to elevate our last mile um, but it's the commercials that actually will get that decision over the line um, so yeah, it's leading with that customer experience, but it's it's a service that pays for itself. Um, so it's always very important, like when we put a business case together, using metrics from other brands, and we're looking at that kind of incremental sales that the service will deliver. And the pitch to brands is, look, you have this incredible service, it's differentiated, it's enhancing your brand, but it pays for itself and it does drive sales. Great. Um, and I guess another interesting one, so you've talked about some of the commercial, uh, some of the different commercial benefits. Do you find that the average order values are typically higher and that the customers that kind of experience Harper for the first time are more loyal? Um, I know this is often kind of an association with physical retail. Do you think that's the same with Harper? Yeah, 100%. It's, it's a really good comparison. Um, you know, I often ask brands what the difference is between their in-store ATV and the online ATV. And if it's bigger, it's a good indication that Harper will drive the ATV as well. And the reason why is, I mean, it's super simple. Like imagine walking into a store and the sales associate told you um, anything that you want to try on, you're going to have to pay for if you take it into the fitting room. And, you know, on top of that, if you don't like it, you've got to go to the post office and return it or arrange a return. Like you just try less on, you'd engage with less product, you'd buy less. Like what Harper's doing is saying, actually, if you're interested in that piece, Try it on. If you're not sure on the size, try two sizes. If it's a higher price point or it's tailoring or it's something like that, that's like, you know, it might be a little bit more comfortable putting that on your card if you aren't going to buy it, just try it on. Um, so the average basket size with Harper is six items. And then once the customers tried those items on, naturally they're purchasing more. Um, it's helping with increasing units per transaction. Um, so they're keeping more items, but it also increases the average selling price as well. So those higher value items that are harder to sell online tend to sell well through the service. Makes sense. So now you talked a bit earlier about the potential of groups kind of using the Harper service. Um, is there usually kind of a commercial benefit on that side? Um, and I guess how do how do your clients usually look at that? Is it a case of trying to activate new customers, um, or is it actually yeah the kind of AOV per person is uh, higher as well? Yeah, I mean groups isn't isn't a huge part of the business. Um, it, it tends to be a high value transaction, which is great. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the commercial benefits to the retailer, I usually split it down a few ways. 
It's actually great for um, acquisition. You know, it's a good service for converting new customers. Like a customer lands on the site, like a lot of customers we tend to find, they will discover brands through the stores. Um, you know, they'll be touching and feeling product. They'll they'll be introduced to it through the stores. And then they'll tend to shop online with brands that they know a little bit better. That's not always the case, but they, people can be a little bit less adventurous online and stick to the brands that they know. Like this service, you know, if you've got a one to two percent conversion rate, ninety eight percent of customers are landing on that site and not checking out. Um, so if you put this messaging at key conversion points, like the size guide, like if you look at the brands that we work with, and you look at the size guide, it'll often say, "Not sure, try two sizes at your convenience with our concierge service." So it's helping to actually acquire those customers who are unsure or new customers. Um, the easiest one to measure the value against is definitely the ATV because it's very obvious that it's larger. Um, it can be anywhere, and this is net net returns. It can be anywhere from 30% up to about 120% increase in average transaction value, depending on the brand. Um, but lifetime value, you touched on it there as well. I think this is the most important metric for, for retailers today, and I still think it's massively overlooked. But like acquisition costs are getting so high now that it's when you acquire a customer, like what can you do to retain them? And, you know, that story I told you earlier about like <laughs> that delivery drive putting the items in the bin for me, like that didn't cost the retailer four pounds for that delivery. It cost them thousands of pounds in customer lifetime value because I'm no longer a customer of that brand. So it's how can you keep customers by not only just making sure it's not a poor experience, but delighting them, giving them a very convenient service that they want to come back for time and time again. What is Ampliance? In a word, it's freedom. The freedom to build a digital experience as limitless as your vision. Create, preview, schedule, and manage all your content in one easy place. Find out more at Ampliance.com. Ampliance. Experience freedom. Yeah, that makes sense. That, um, that bin thing is a bit of a trend at the moment. I've had that twice a few months as well. Yeah. I don't know why that's happening more, but um, yeah, that does seem to be yeah. a new strategy from some of these carriers. Yeah. Not not going to shut name and shame because I don't believe in doing it, but there's one that's particularly terrible and they stuck it in my garden bin with rotten leaves once, which was a beautiful experience. When I, because I had one recently and this happened, I was quite happy to be perfectly honest. Fortunately, there wasn't anything bad in the bin, but um, yeah, I was kind of, I was more just happy they delivered it, I guess. And it's probably a bit easier than going to a neighbor's, et cetera. Yeah, you've always had low standards. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Honestly, I've got like a list of these horror stories. Every time I bring up this story, everybody else has one or multiple. Like there was one I was talking to a brand the other day um, and they said a customer called them basically irate because they paid for a next day um, delivery because they had something for an event. And they said, it's been delivered to Mr. Bush. And they said, um, I've knocked on all my neighbors. There's no Mr. Bush near me. Like the delivery driver's just written that on there. And basically they worked out after a while that the delivery driver thinking they were funny had hidden it in her bush, <laughs> written Mr. Bush. And then obviously they'd had this poor customer experience where the customer was irate, hadn't got their items on time. Um, but you know, there's, there's hundreds. That's funny. Um, so I guess this is one of the biggest questions that I wanted to ask. Um, so obviously your team are going out and talking to different customers all the time. They're asking different questions. Like you say, they're learning about size, fit, everything else. And then on top of that, it sounds like you do a lot of surveying for these brands as part of the process. Um, so what are some of the most interesting things you've learned? Because you must have access to quite a lot of data now working with all of these different brands. Yeah, no, we, we learn tons. Um, it's interesting as well. It's, it's talking to the customers, but it's just being in and around their homes. Like certain brands have certain types of dogs. <laughs> like, you know, it's it can be that specific. And we're not, we're not surveying that, but there's definitely like trends and things like that. 
Um, I mean, the pandemic was a really interesting one for us, just being close to customers going through that. Um, you know, the average age of customers, something, again, that we've got a very good read on. Um, it went up to five years across all of our brands on average in the space of about three months. So just those customers um, who maybe hadn't shopped online before being forced to. Um, and yeah, that's that's re- pretty much stayed the same. Like it's not dropped off a huge amount. Those customers who, who started shopping online have stayed. Um, what else did we see around the pandemic? It was fascinating. A lot of pregnancies. <laughs> so there was a lot of pregnancies during and just after the pandemic. The service works amazingly well for pregnant people. Um, so lots and lots of that. Um, quite a sad one actually was um, people putting on quite quite a bit. Of, I mean, I can relate to this, but people putting on weight during the pandemic, and then but people having body issues um, coming out of the pandemic. So when they had to go back into the world, people having to buy new wardrobes and dress slightly differently, but just being very self conscious. Um, so during the pandemic, you know, our services to the door or through the door. It can be. It depends on the customer. It's you know, it's almost again like a store. It's some customers want a very high touch service where they need reassurance. They want a second opinion. Some customers just want the pieces dropping to try the items on and then we'll return after 40 minutes to take payment. So through the pandemic, it was purely to the door. But post pandemic, a lot of more through the door, helping customers with the wardrobe, understanding which items they want to keep and how they want to dress. Um, another interesting thing actually was just measuring that kind of ratio of to the door and through the door. In that, Because we, we just matched it to stores. We said, if the stores are open, we'll be able to go through the door. Um, if the stores are closed, we won't go through the door. But seeing customer kind of sentiment and their, their worry levels, it was really easy to measure during that to the door, through the door percentage. So pre-pandemic, we were about 70% through the door. And it's about 60% today. So customers are nearly back to those confidence levels of interacting with people, but not quite fully yet. And it'd be good to switch now to the operational side and the integration piece, because obviously you're providing a service on top of a retailer's existing um, like infrastructure. I've got a couple of questions. First, uh, the stock bit, because a lot of premium retailers I work with, they, they're they light on stock. They don't have hundreds and hundreds of units of everything, right, because they're premium. So how does that bit work? Because if you're taking items out from multiple potential multiple retailers to one single customer – that stock out of stores or, or, or warehouses. How do the retailers handle this piece with you so that they don't end up overselling? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, the one thing I would just say on that, though, is we're not, we don't tend to be taking it from multiple different brands to one customer. Um, our plugin basically sits on their website and it can sit on the cart page or as a delivery option, but it tends to be through a single brand um, through their websites. So it tends to be mono brand appointments. Some customers have got wise to it now and we're working with more brands. So they will be ordering from multiple ones and choosing an appointment at the same time. But that's only the customers who um, are wanting to do that, basically. Um, but it can come from anywhere, really, that the brand shipping from for the e-commerce orders. For brands fulfilling from a store, we can get it from a store. If it's coming from a warehouse, we can get it from the warehouse. And um, so it's fulfilled. Our, our technology is basically changing the customer's address to our address, so the local address, um, shipping those items in. And then the star concierges are starting and ending their day at that, that kind of collection location. Um, so it's coming from their warehouse. Mostly, I'd say about 90% is coming from the warehouse, 10% from stores. Coming to that fulfillment location that's nearest the customer, they're going and selling the items. And then the nice thing about the service from a stock perspective, you know, pieces, return rates today, 30 40%. Some of those pieces can be out for up to 30 days. I think the average is about 12 days. Um, with Harper, there's, there's no return from the customer's perspective. So the pieces are going back to the brand next working day. So you, you're kind of getting that stock back in circulation very, very quickly. And do you are you taking, so do you have an integration which takes um, product data and inventory feeds then from 
the people you're the retailers you're working with um kind of yeah so we we don't have, you know we, we're not B, we're b2b to B to c so we don't really have our transactional website it's all going through the brand site um so if you go to a brand site victoria beckham you know me and m self-portrait you mentioned before ferragamo um you can choose the items you want to try on choose the harper try it home button um, and then choose a convenient time for you and then the cart is from a tech perspective the cart is basically passed over to us um, you're not paying for the pieces up front. And like I said, the delivery address has changed, but it's going through almost like a normal order. It's like a cash on delivery order. Um, it's then sold. And then anything that's not sold is sent straight back to the brand. And so can you talk, the people listening who might not understand how it could work technically, can you talk through how that cart is passed over? So where that cart, the customer's placing it on the retailer's website. It's their, their e-commerce car, but then they've requested the Harper service. And that comes to you. How is that managed and, and where does it then sit? Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's the secret sauce. Can't go too much into that. Yeah. Also, I'm not the type of right person to ask about that. That's the tech team. But it's um, basically below the checkout button. There's a button that says try at home. And just pressing that button, it will effectively, what our tech is doing is it's, it's making it a kind of a, it's not really consignment. It's just a cash on delivery order. And that's a trickier thing than it sounds um, for most retailers. And like, you know, you guys will know this for like the ERPs and like releasing stock without cash but that's what our technology is covering like most retailers i talk to they are especially the luxury ones they are offering a consignment service at some level to some customers so it might be 20 of their top customers receiving this service but it's incredibly admin heavy i mean it's low density so you tend to be jumping an uber and taking it to customers and but what we're doing is we're allowing them to make that a very seamless service zero admin it's all technically managed and then obviously, because of the density that we have working across brands, we can offer this as a service to more customers or all of their customers. Um, but effectively, yet yeah, it looks like in the back end, like a cash and delivery order that's okay. sent to a different address. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's a specific order type that enables it. And then they, they can change the order management flow to suit. So it requires them to have that capability or to then set it up to enable it. That makes sense. Exactly. Um, we have our um, plugins as well now. So Shopify, Magento 2, Salesforce, Commerce Cloud. But I mean, it's it's not even that hard for API. It's usually the ERP that you've got to speak to, yeah, and just check that they can do it. But I mean, we work with enough of them now that we've we've seen all of the kind of common problems. No, but it's it's an interesting one to flag, and it's really useful for our listeners. Is is that it, that impact on stockholding because it has a financial implication if your process isn't set up and you basically you you push through the 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 invoices and you you push through the the sales and captured it on your ledger. When it hasn't happened, you've got to have that process in place to make sure you haven't banked the revenue before it's there. Exactly. Um, yeah, that, 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 that's it. Thanks for clarifying. And then I've got a, a, a question related to payment because you're obviously taking it out to the customer's house. You've given them this, this personal service. And my understanding is if the customer chooses to buy, they then buy there and then um, with you. So they're paying. How, do the, how does the customer pay? And then how does that um, data loop and financials feed back into the retailer? Yeah. Um, so we work with Zettel, so mobile card readers. Um, we started working with them a couple of years ago. Now we've got a good relationship with them. Um, so it's a PayPal company now they got acquired. But you'll typically see them, um, you know, in, in like we've got some custom-made readers actually, but the, the typical limit's about £1,000. Um, but for us, through the partnership, it's now up to £70,000 we can take through those readers. And we've been pretty close to that <laughs> for online orders, which is crazy. Um but yeah, we basically take the payment and then on a monthly basis, we are processing the payment um, to customers. 
So some customers are treating us, they, they almost like will consider it like a far fetch or something like that. Like it's, it's they're selling the, the stock and they're getting paid on a monthly basis for the items that are kept. Oh, okay. So, so the, the set of the money, you're settling it direct into your accounts, and then you've got obviously the commercial relationship behind the scenes with the retailers for that reconciliation piece. Exactly. Okay, cool. Thank you. Lovely. Yeah, sorry, I dropped a bit there. Um, so last question. So you talked um you've talked a bit around kind of a new new features and you know the launch in New York sounds pretty exciting. Um what else do you have on your roadmap for the rest of this year and 2023? Yeah, got some really big launches. We've got four um, big launches of household names and high volume brands as well, um, which is a big focus for us. You know, like we like our our sales team, our style concierge team to be doing visits frequently. So the volume is really important for us. Um, so we've got four very well-known brands launching, which keep an eye out for. Um, like I said, the New York launch is a big thing for us now to so working out how that works from a stock perspective. Um We've got a couple of features launching that are interesting. Can't go too much of the roadmap. We're just about to launch, actually. One of them I can talk about is um, green slots, which is, is a harder thing than it sounds to launch. And that's if you've ever been on um, a Cardo. It's suggesting to customers when, the basically, that we're in their area. So it's, it's proximity-based uh, messaging of times. So we were talking to them. We actually spoke to them from a Cardo. We were talking about how do you encourage customers to choose slots that are you know, more environment, environmentally friendly, but also we're close from the area, so it's more economical. Um, and apparently, like you can charge differently for slots, but like, and they tested all these different ways. The thing that had the biggest impact for them was literally telling customers, we're in your area. Um, if you choose this, you know, it's an economical slot. And customers, you know, it's things a really good sign, actually. They are voting with that now and they're choosing those. And um, so we're launching that next week, actually, which will be a really good thing for just our cost base in general. Um, but yeah, got an exciting year planned. Excellent. That, 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 that's a fun one of, of having to do the geo-targeting and the look up and do it quickly to not slow down the, that checkout price. Okay, interesting. Yeah, exactly. And uh, in terms of platforms, you mentioned a few platforms you've already got integrations with. Could you just clarify, what, what, what are those connectors that you've got? What do they do? So they just make it, I mean, they package it up, they package the integration up and they make it a lot more straightforward. So um, Shopify, for example, like, I mean, brands have done that themselves. Like we have our integration documentation, brands can literally, I think, um, I don't know how much I'm going to that, you were going to mention, Paul, about like self-portrait, but they're launching another brand soon and their, their development agency are just basically integrating the service because it's worked really well for self-portrait. So they've asked to get it integrated on the other brand, but they can do that themselves effectively. Magento are too similar, like you're talking under a week's work um, if there isn't any surprises in there. Um, I mean, the more the heavier part of the work tend, on Shopify Magento tends to be how you message it through the site on the front end. Um, Salesforce cartridge is a little bit heavier, tends to be like two weeks, two weeks to three weeks. Um, and then the API integration, again, so platform dependent, um, but that's when you'll have to make the connections yourself. And are you, um, are you building out any other like apps or connectors for any other platforms, any other the SaaS platforms, or are you focusing on the ones you're already working with? We were looking at um, big commerce and commerce tools. The integrations are so straightforward for those platforms anyway, but it's like, it doesn't make a huge amount of difference having the plugin built. Um, so we didn't really think it was needed on those two, but we may, I mean, depending, I mean, commerce tools are doing well. They've got some great brands on there. I think big commerce too, actually. Um, so we may build them at some point, but at the moment it's, I mean, it's like the API works really well anyway. I think there's a, in, in those modern SaaS stacks, like big commerce or Shopify, there's an emotional reaction to having uh, an existing app in the app store versus knowing that it can be connected easily. Uh, even if the workload and effort or cost isn't that much difference. 
we had the exact conversation about the Salesforce cartridge. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. um, it's not that hard anyway through the API, but it's just having the cartridge and stuff. Um, I think gives comfort. It's it's built by an agency that is approved. It's on the Salesforce marketplace. I think it gives that assurance to the brands. Yeah, it, it, exactly. It, it makes it feel like it's going to be a, a simpler process, even if it's not that much different. So I've got um, one other question, actually, um, see whether you'll be uh, whether you want to answer it or not, mm-hmm. is it, you obviously pitched to lots of retailers. Um, you've got experience working with a lot of um, premium brands and understand the customer base. What, what barriers get thrown at you? From a retail perspective of, of, you know, we can't do that because it's a too complex or uh, we're not sure about the maintaining the quality of our service because premium brands can be very, very protective over what their brand experience is. So what are the typical throwbacks you get and how, how do you counter them? Yeah, good question. Um, that is one of them or used to be one of them. It definitely used to be when we were just starting around that kind of quality of service. Being protective over that. My argument was always who's dealing with it at the moment. And as we've touched on, you know, it's the, it's the I'm not going to name anybody, but it's the carriers effectively who aren't built for customer experience. That one's got a lot easier now because, like I said, our NPS is 86. We've got, you know, the highest rated last mile service. And I think brands can try it. You know, they know who we work with now. People are touching and feeling the service and I think wanting to use it more. So that one's less so. Um, another one which I still get, but, but less frequently, is retailers wanting to do it themselves. Um it's, I mean, it's technically challenging to do, but it's doable. But like the fundamental reason why that's that's very hard is that it just, you know, last mile comes down to density. Doing it efficiently comes down to density and how close your visits are to each other. There aren't many brands or retailers doing the volume to do this efficiently, which is why you need to have the, somebody working in between working with all of them. Um, so that's, that's less common now. Um, priority is what it always comes down to, I think. I think you'll probably know this with a lot of kind of like suppliers and service providers. Like they've got typically a roadmap, they've got one budget, they've got a number of hours. It's how high do they prioritize the customer experience in these types of services? And I mean, that is changing. Like we're getting the, I mean, I've had integrations before where I've started the conversation and it's taken me two years to launch it. But that really is changing now. I think, I think as more brands start to do this as well, not everybody's a pioneer, you know, not everybody's willing to be the first people to try these new services. Exactly the same with digital Nikon. Like it took a while for some brands to start. But I think now it's becoming quite commonplace. Um, you know, more and more brands are approaching goes wanting to do it. And um, so it's definitely getting a lot faster. But I'd say priority and getting prioritized in the roadmap is the, the thing we've got to fight. Excellent. That was um, really interesting. I haven't got any more questions, actually. I think it's that's a really good um, summary of how it works and what the value is to customers. Paul, have you got any more questions? No, I don't think so. Um, yeah, from my perspective, really interesting service. And I can definitely see uh, the benefits for sure. We're launching a few more menswear brands this year as well. So you guys will be able to try it. Trying to say we need style. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> I think, I think we both guys. Know it. I think you need to save the time. That's what I'm saying. We both know it. Um, yeah, that that's been really, really, really interesting. Thanks, Liam. Um, I guess there might be people who are still either not convinced or think actually, do you know what? I think it might be a bit more challenging to get that integration working than I thought, and they might want to chat a bit more about that. Um, how do they reach out? Who do they reach out to? Yeah, I mean, they can reach out to me. So liam at harperconcierge.com and I can forward them on to the right teams. And if there's anybody out there, um, we're hiring in the US, head of operations US. Um, if anybody's looking for that, if you've got any US listeners, then please reach out as well. We'll, we'll, we'll take the 10% commission fee off of the recruitment. <laughs> <laughs> Only joking, of course. We wouldn't dare profiteer out of this podcast. 
Um, Liam, really enjoyed chatting today. Thanks for sharing. It sounds like an interesting story. Good luck with the US launch. Sounds very exciting. Um, and thanks, everyone, for listening, as always. We hope you found that an interesting episode. Uh, keep an ear out for the next one. We drop them every Tuesday. We'd love you to subscribe if you haven't already. And we would also love a rating on Apple, Spotify or YouTube. Take care and until next week. For more information on this topic, head over to replatform.fm for our audio podcasts. To discuss a project, or if you'd like to chat about any of the topics covered in this episode in more detail, please reach out to myself, James Gerd, or my co-host, Paul Rogers, via LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and keep your ears peeled for the next episode.